you with us. What we're talking about today is gaining your heart for the world, uh, starting with the people next door and extending to the people on the other side of the globe. Gaining your heart for the world. And I love Psalm 96. It talks about conveying your deeds to the nations, your glorious deeds to the nations. That there are people all around the world who don't even have a concept of a, of a God who loves like you do. Uh, who don't even have a, a, a grasp of something like salvation. They're trying desperately to achieve and accomplish something that will impress the forces of the universe or a God, some sort of self-sustaining effort. And here we have a God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave. And we're so grateful to you for that truth that for ourselves and for those that you send us to. I pray that you would bless Peter tonight, give him great freedom, remind him as among friends, and uh, that he might share Uh, what you've laid on his heart for our good and for the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Keith. Is it all right if I stand here? Is that all right? We among friends? Good, good. All right, yeah, that most importantly, is that all right for you? All right, great. I will back up if I hear feedback. Great. Well, thank you all for coming. Did you know that today is one of the most beautiful days of the year? And you are here. This is the hardcore group, and I so appreciate it. And I promise we will end on time tonight. I promise you. So hopefully there'll just be a little bit of sun that you can enjoy uh, here this evening. And I also really appreciated uh, your sensitivity in encouraging me to take off right after the second service. Um, You ever get those texts from uh, your family? And uh, you, you know that it's time to go. Anyone else get those uh, texts? My wife was having what was called an ocular migraine. Um, and so uh, I was um, able to try and, and leave. So I'm sorry I didn't have as much time uh, with all of you that I would have liked. But uh, when I was giving a talk about see, respond, and learn, I have learned that it is time to leave uh, and respond in those certain cases. So really appreciate your, your sensitivity uh, in that. And, and so tonight, um, what I'd love to do is to talk just a little bit about something that I've been on a journey learning about in my work in doing international missions, global missions. But then I would love to spend the last little bit together turning it into more of a conversation if this prompts any comments or questions. Uh, can we do that? Can we have it more of kind of a discussion at the end? All right, great. Awesome. Well, here we go. So um, I, I didn't give a whole lot of the biographical information this morning, but, but when I was at Messiah College, which I know there are several of us here that are proud graduates, um, I was uh, on the International Business Institute. And growing up, as I mentioned, my dad, he was a pastor, and I fell in love with global missions. I always had an interest in missions, and we would go on trips around the world. We would see, we would experience, and I thought, that is what I want to do with my life. And yet I also found that the missions definition that I had, it was primarily around medical doctors 
And I pass out at the sight of needles, so I pretty much said that's not going to be my calling at all. And then I saw there were church planners, and I saw that as what my dad uh, was involved in, and I thought that doesn't really feel like the way that God has made me. And I had this interest in business and entrepreneurship. And while I was at Messiah College, for the very first time, I was studying in Russia, and I heard someone kind of challenge me on, did you ever think that maybe those aren't two activities, that maybe God has given you this interest in global missions and this desire to be involved in business and entrepreneurship, and, and maybe those are not two separate activities. And I was fascinated by this concept. Started doing a little bit of research, and at this time in the mid-90s, there was an individual, he won a Nobel Peace Prize a little bit later, uh, but an individual with the name of, are we good, Mindy? All right, we should be. There we go. All right, I will point at you then. That'll be it. Yes, exactly. So an individual uh, with the name of Muhammad Yunus. Now, does anyone know who this individual is, won the Nobel Peace Prize? Yeah, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for something called the Grameen Bank. And what he was doing was he was finding out that we can provide capital investment in individuals so that they can work their way out of poverty. It was an effective uh, form of poverty alleviation, and he was doing it in his home country of Bangladesh. And really his story was similar to what we shared, that he saw the need and eventually said, well, what can I do? Not motivated by by a faith in Jesus, but motivated by a desire to help. And as I read about this work, I thought, why isn't the church involved here? And so I started doing some research, and the church was not at all involved in this space, not at all involved in this form of poverty alleviation, not at all doing this with also introducing individuals to the message of hope and transformation of Jesus Christ. And so I started thinking, what is going on, church? If this is a way of alleviating poverty, how come the church isn't using this as part of our church planning, as part of our church strengthening, as part of the way that we respond? And so as I was doing this, I fell in love with this uh, idea because it wasn't just about seeing individuals and defining them by what they lack, but it was seeing individuals as created in the image of God with gifts and abilities. And instead of going in and dropping off a bag of beans... It was saying, what would it look like for you to grow your own? It really honors the way that individuals are created in the image of God. Gifts and abilities, and, and I think the church missed it with the way that I grew up of only seeing relief, temporary assistance, and not recognizing God had created all individuals with gifts and abilities. And so that became my passion. And so around the world, we were investing in individuals. It was, it was this thing that I fell in love with, started in Cambodia, went to Rwanda, then ended up in Zimbabwe before having my first job back here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's my first job in the U.S. And I love uh, this place that God has brought me, but still working in the countries around the world. So that was my kind of the way that I got into this. But while I was living in Rwanda, we had this unusual experience. We had this experience that the organization that we were working with asked us if we would be willing to respond to an immediate disaster. So our work was in this church-based, church-strengthening form of poverty alleviation, 
But Mount Nyiragongo erupted just a few miles away over the border from Rwanda in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I had never been close to a volcano. I did not understand anything about this. But literally, it wasn't just that the lava and ash exploded out of the crater, but literally the ground opened up and lava just poured out through the heart of the city. And so because of our proximity, because we spoke French, they asked us to go and try to respond to a humanitarian disaster with 400,000 people fleeing this slow-moving lava that was destroying the city of Goma. Now, I don't know about you, but this was not what I studied. This was not what I was prepared for. So we ended up getting our tents. We got our sleeping bags. We ended up getting some water. And we wanted to go and run towards the herding. And so we ended up going, and I remember being in the border. We, we arrived at the border. We're sitting in the car. It's raining, and individuals are just pouring by us, carrying things on their head, which are the things that they fled with. And if you were fleeing your house, I don't know what you would bring, but I was so surprised. It, was, it looked like old pots and pans. It looked like a mattress. It, it was an odd set of things for your most prized possessions. And I remember thinking, this is their most prized possessions. What in the world are we going to do to try and love and serve a people that have just lost everything that we're already living in poverty? What does it look like to see and respond and share and show the love of Jesus at this moment? So we eventually got assigned to a refugee camp. We eventually figured out that individuals that were in this community, because it was a high elevation that they were going to, that they were cold. And so I don't know about you, but this was not some master plan, but I thought, let's get blankets. And so we called some friends at home, we, we raised some money, and, and we had enough money so that we could respond with blankets. And as we are about to give away the blankets, we had an unusual and unexpected conversation. One of the other Christian ministries that was there called us aside and said, you can't give away the blankets. And I remember thinking, what, what do you mean you can't give, we can't give away the blankets? There's kids who are cold, like literally just t-shirts, nothing else. Literally, this is a humanitarian disaster. This is the moment when relief is supposed to be most effectively employed. What do you mean we can't give away the blankets? Anyone have an idea of why we weren't allowed to give away these blankets? Turns out, that they had received a phone call that there was going to be a shipment, a humanitarian shipment that was going to be covered by CNN. They were going to bring a video crew, and when the video crew showed up in this refugee camp, they said it won't be as good or compelling a story if individuals already have blankets. Now, my blood started to boil because how dare you use other individuals to make you look good? How dare you use their moment of need as a way of telling your story? How dare you do this in a mission of Christian love while your lips are dripping with hypocrisy that this is about loving the people? How dare you? And so eventually, um, the, sh the shipment didn't arrive. It's amazing how short uh, attention span we have around the world. And so it didn't arrive. And so eventually, we were able to give away our blankets. And we weren't just able to give away blankets. We were able to, to gather some other things. And so we got to be up 
on this uh, little uh, area and we had individuals walk through the line and we were able in the little bit of, of, uh, of, of Swahili that we knew to simply say, God bless you, we're here to serve, we really were trying to be there to serve. And so as we're giving away these blankets, as we are serving at this moment, my friend Michael grabbed the camera, he went over on the side and he started taking pictures. He started taking pictures and as he started taking pictures, I remember my focus and attention shifted really quickly. It shifted from the person that was right in front of me to imagining my family and friends at home seeing what a good Christian boy Peter was. My thoughts were not on the person right in front of me and it didn't even occur to me the offense when they asked the same individual to walk through the line three times so they could capture the right picture. Now, what I had found such ease in justifying my righteous position when I saw the organization doing it, what was, the, what was I doing? I was doing exactly the same thing that I so easily spotted in the other. I was doing exactly the same thing that I found it so easy to critique someone else that I had missed what was happening in my own heart. I, I missed the giant log that was in my own eye while I was looking at the splinter in someone else's. And I don't know about you, but I believe that this is a danger for all of us that are involved in missions and service and the good that God has called us to do. This idea that in the midst of making Jesus' name known, that sometimes we can forget that that's our mission and we can try to ask, but how does that make me look? How does it make me feel? And I imagine the stories in Scripture. I imagine the stories in Scripture of what would it look like if when uh, Moses is leading people through, if he had paused for the selfie in the midst of leading his people. I imagine what it would look like for Noah to be up there like with a duck, like just on the ark. But no, these individuals knew the powerful moments where God is moving. This is not a moment to think about how it makes us feel or makes us look, but a moment to get down on our knees in worship to say the only thing that matters in this life, the only thing that matters is not how it makes us look or how it makes us feel, but about making the name of Jesus known in all nations. And I believe that sometimes we can get in the way of that grand mission that we have been given, that sometimes we can get in the way of making the name of Jesus known. Eugene Peterson writes this, he said, we've all met a certain type of spiritual person. He's a wonderful person, he loves the Lord, he prays and reads the Bible all the time, but all he thinks about is himself. He's not a selfish person, but he's always at the center of everything he's doing. How can I witness better? How can I do this better? How can I take care of this person's problem better? It's me, 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 disguised in a way that is difficult to see because his spiritual talk disarms us. When I read that from Eugene Peterson, I say, may that never be true for us. May that never be the story that someone would write about the way that we love and the way that we serve. And I believe that in today's image-focused world, that now more than ever, there is a danger that we can get in the way of people seeing Jesus even as we are going around the world, even as we are serving selflessly, even as we are doing this amazing work. I think that this uh, kind of question for me is, so if that's true, how do we diagnose that? 
I'm, I'm kind of a practical person, and I want to figure out, so if that is the danger, if that is the possibility, if for all of us that are engaged in international or local service, if that is indeed a danger, so how do we see if that's starting to take root in our own lives? And I want to give three thoughts, and then I want to give three things that maybe can reorient our service. Is that all right? All right, so first thing, I believe that this sort of self-centered leadership, eventually it's going to undermine our impact. And how might it undermine our impact? And the first way is that sometimes we can be so excited about our mission that we miss out the fact that God is on the move in all kinds of other churches and organizations. I believe that sometimes we can be so excited to share what God is doing through Hope International that I can miss out on what God is doing through so many other organizations that are doing good and important work. And the result of that is we have this over-exuberance about our mission and miss out on the opportunity to celebrate what God is doing in others. And more and more, when I hear about other churches that are having an impact, I want to be the first person to stand and cheer them on. When I hear about other organizations that are having an incredible impact, a movement of God around the world, I want to be the first one to stand and cheer and say, I celebrate what God is doing in you and through you. I don't want to have such an excitement in the one place that I am that I miss out on the bigger and grander and much more compelling story of what God is doing around the world. Second thing, we have replication. Whenever it is primarily about our mission, we end up replicating again and again and again what we might be able to actually have some very effective partnerships in. So I, I think about this in the space that I am in. Uh, around the world, we originally thought that we had to create all of our programs around the world. And as we were going and creating these programs of, of Hope International, you know what we found? God was already at work in some of the countries and communities. God had already called people with the same mission and the same heart to bring the good news of Jesus and a way out of poverty to communities around the world. And so instead of creating new programs, what if we simply said, it's not about our brand, it's not about our name, it's about Jesus. And so instead of replicating, what if we can simply partner with you? And from that point, we still start some programs around the world, but it's only if we are certain that God has not already called and equipped someone in that community already that we can partner with. So when it makes it about us at the center of the story, we are not using God's resources wisely because we're replicating instead of partnering. Third is we have a patronizing approach to the people and the places that we serve. Because if it's all about us, the question is when we go in is not what is God already doing in this community, it's well what can we do within our short-term limited window of good that we're gonna do. It's about what does it look like for us to go and do for you instead of pausing long enough to say, Maybe there's already good work that is already happening. In that video this morning, I can tell you the individuals in that video are doing things that you and I could never do in reaching their Muslim brothers and sisters for Jesus. It would be impossible for us to do that. And yet, when we recognize that God is already working those communities, it allows us to say, we're not gonna have a patronizing approach to the global church. We're going to go in to serve 
and make the name of Jesus known. And then lastly, is I believe that we have a growth intoxication when it is primarily about us. If you ask any church leader, any church leader, when they go to a place and they're, they're, they're trying to figure out kind of what, what's the environment or any nonprofit leader, I can tell you that most of the time, people want to know elements of, well, how many people show up? They want to know what's the size of the budget. And yet, I believe that those things might not actually be the most important things to know whether or not this is a place that is alive. Maybe those are the wrong things, and I saw this in my own life, that while we were growing a program, we had the most incredible growth. And the growth was actually being recognized by places like the World Bank. They invited us in to give a speech about how we could figure out how to do this in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And while we were getting this award, while we were giving this speech, while we were talking about how easy it is to do this, little did I know that Jesus was about to bring a holy two-by-four uh, to our foreheads and remind us that growth is not the most important thing. It's not the most important thing. And so the next few months, what came up very rapidly came down very rapidly as well. One of the most humbling leadership lessons I have ever learned. And I believe at the core of this was this idea that as long as numbers are growing, that therefore we must be on the right track. And I believe that's not always true. Uh, the second thing that happens is I believe that when we make too much of ourselves in the midst of the service that we can undermine our family and friends. I've seen this in my marriage, um, and uh, my, I can tell you that uh, 10 years ago, if I got a text that my wife was having some sort of migraines, I would have told her, I'll be home as soon as I can, and I would have been the last person to leave. Um, 2009, she sat me down on the couch, and she said, Peter, I love you. I said, Peter, I care about you. Jeez, that's, a, that's what you want every sit-down to be. That's what you want. But you want that to be the end of the conversation. But then she said, but Peter, I, I feel nothing for you anymore. I feel like our marriage is dying. And the reality is it was because I was giving my best to my vocational ministry, workaholism celebrated as ministry within the church, and I had missed out that God had also called me to be a husband and a dad. And those callings, I never wanted to go back to that place again. I never wanted to go back. And so for some of us, in the midst of loving our global neighbors, in the midst of doing this global mission, I don't think it's a choice between loving people far away and neglecting people that are close. I don't think that honors our Lord and our Savior. And so I never wanted to go back to that place. And so the third uh, piece is, uh, with, with that is, what does it look like? This is my family. I, just, I had to include a family picture because I just needed to. But that's the family. And it really has become this incredible joy to say, it is not something that Jesus is asking of us to do, to just care about people far away and miss the people that are close as well. And then the last thing is I believe that this sort of model, that if we are focused on ourselves, that eventually we will undermine ourselves because we're going to feel underappreciated. We're going to say, don't you see all of this good that I'm doing? Don't you see all of this generosity? Don't you see all of this service? And when we feel underappreciated, we end up having a little door open to the woe is me syndrome. And when we open up the door a little bit to the woe is me syndrome, that is not a door that closes easily. So this idea about how do we make sure that we are not making it about I deserve 
this sort of blessing because of the good that I'm doing. And secondly, Christian karma. Christian karma is not a Christian concept, but it's something that slips into the church, that we believe that if we do enough good, that God will have to bless us in the way that we define blessing in return. And I have seen this with church leaders. I have seen this with ministry leaders. I have seen this with some of the most selfless servants around the world that eventually they feel like, I'm doing all of this, God, and then something really bad happens. And the question in that moment is, do we believe, do we believe that God owes us good as we define good, or do we simply believe that regardless of what happens, we can say, blessed be the name of our Lord, the God who gives and takes away. Blessed be the name. Now that is a hard lesson to learn, especially when you are in the gullies. And I can tell you with this church, you do enough with foster care and adoption that you know that stepping out and loving others does not mean that there will not be incredible pain that hits your heart too. It is not something that we are promised, but what we are promised is I am with you to the very end of the age. We are promised his presence. We are not promised that everything is going to be easy because it's not. And then, uh, so if that's the problem, uh, how do we get out of that? If those are some of the issues, if you buy that those are some of the challenges that come as we are loving and serving, as all of us are doing the work that God has called us to do, as we are going and sharing and showing the love of Jesus to this world that desperately needs to see, as we are doing that work, how do we make sure that we do it in such a way that it is all about Jesus and not us? And what might the benefit of that sort of an approach be? Well, I can tell you that I have seen leaders that have this sort of a posture that it's just not about them. They don't think of themselves too much. They don't think of themselves too lowly. They just don't think of themselves, as Tim Keller says. They're too busy focusing on Jesus. And those are the individuals that I believe God is using to have an incredible, incredible impact. And we know the impact. We know that when those uh, attitudes and approaches take root in our heart, we can have this fanatical delegation. We bring others along because it's not about us. Everything that we do, we say, how do we do this with someone else? We know that we see partnership as a default position. If there is another church having an outreach in Lancaster, if there's another opportunity for you to link arms with other people, the default position is absolutely, we're going to spend eternity together. Let's start hanging out right now because it's not about the subset. It is about the bigger and grander mission of Jesus. And the third is that we have a different definition of success, a different definition of success in terms of the timeline. I've asked the board of directors of the organization that I work with to give me my final performance review two years after I'm gone. And I believe that is far more important than anything else that happens while I'm here. Because if it is about the mission, we want to know what happens when we are no longer in the position serving. We want to know what happens when we are no longer in that role. Does that make sense? We want to make sure if it is about the mission, if it is about the name of Jesus, we want to make sure that when we transition out of whatever the role is of service that you have, that the service only improves, that it only gets better. Second thing, I believe that this sort of an approach strengthens our families. You know, I gave my wife my resignation letter after that conversation. And I said, if I am ever, if you ever feel that I am not the dad and the husband that 
that, that I want to be for you. I will walk away from this job that I love to be with you because I choose you. <laughs> I choose you. And, and uh, that to me was one of these incredible moments where I realized that my job as loving my wife and loving my kids, that that is the covenant that I made before God and before friends, more than any covenant with a job working relationship. And so I wanted to make sure that I never got to that place again of doing all of this work and yet forgetting the privilege of loving the people that were closest to me. And setting up guardrails, setting up things like how much are we traveling, how much are we away, and if anyone is involved in international missions, this is a topic that I am passionate about, about how do we make sure that we have healthy employees so that we can be healthy servants as we go into communities. Around the world, there's a whole lot of burnt out individuals serving around the world that I believe need to figure out how to get healing themselves so that they can effectively engage in long-term service of others. And then the last thing, I believe that this sort of an approach strengthens ourself when we realize there's no invincibility just because we do good work, just because we're involved in global missions, just because we're a church that's on the move doesn't mean that we can stop taking care of our own hearts, our own uh, souls. Make sure that we are not only preaching the good news out there, we are living it out in here. We are experiencing the grace and forgiveness that we need to go and love. Second is prophetic critique. The idea of inviting others to show up in our lives and to tell us where are areas that we are getting off course. And I love reading the Old Testament. And sometimes individuals would show up and they would burn plow. They would do all these crazy things. They would tell stories. They would get the attention. And yet how many of us have people in our lives that we've invited to tell us when we are slowly getting off mission, when our faith is becoming lukewarm, when our passion for the gospel is starting to wane, when we're making it more about us. And I believe we've all had that experience. I had it right before coming here, that you're about ready to meet with someone and, and, and I had spinach for dinner. And as I'm walking out the door, my wife, Laurel, says, you might wanna go and brush your teeth. <laughs> because she saw something that all of you would be looking at right now and you wouldn't hear anything that I'm saying because you'd be focused on that. That's the way that it works and I totally know it. And yet there are things in our lives that other people can see that we have a really hard time seeing in our own lives. So when was the last time we invited a form of prophetic critique, invited people to speak into our lives? Because I believe that the gift of the body of Christ is that sometimes there is words of truth that we need to hear that other people can see more clearly than we can see ourselves. And lastly, this idea of Sabbath. This idea that if we truly believe that the world is not ours to save, we can find ways of actually resting in the finished work of Jesus. Not saying we don't work hard the other six, but there is a day when we can simply say, God, you love this world more than I ever could or would. And I believe the habit of Sabbath is a habit that we have forgotten to our own soul's neglect. Uh, we have forgotten the holy gift of resting, resting in believing that this work, all of the good that we do, 
It ultimately is, is God's work for the world that God so loves. So I see this in Scripture. I, I see this difference and this contrasting approach. And I just want to tell two stories from the book of Acts and then see if this prompts any kind of conversation or comment in our remaining time together. But, but just two stories from the book of Acts where I see we see this most, most clearly. But Acts chapter 12, it says this, On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, how many of you have this last verse on your refrigerator as one of your verses for your family? Struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. And you know what I find so troubling about that? Is the sequence he was eaten by worms first, and then he died. That sounds horrible. So what was it that this is this offense? What is, what is the offense of Herod? So he gives this amazing story. He is the most gifted communicator you can imagine. And they say that the clothes that he wore, it literally was like a shining. Like it literally looked like this was not a human speech. This was the voice of a God. And so the people that see this amazing order, they are awed, they are overwhelmed, and they say this is a voice of a God, not of a man. Now what did Herod do wrong at this moment according to Acts chapter 12? What did he do when the people are saying this is the voice of a God? What did he do? What's that? <laughs> I do. I've got one more book that I left here this morning. Yeah, waiting for the book. See, that's it. That's why you guys have been a little slow this morning, tonight. You've been waiting for the books. <laughs> I'm going to give you a book just for that on that. Here we go. That's it. You've got to answer the question, though. What did Herod do? He did not give credit to God. He did not give credit to God. He did nothing. He receives the praise and says, you know what? I am all that. He says, that's right. I am pretty special. He said, hey, look at me. Now, it's so fascinating that around the same geography and around the same passage in the book of Acts, we see such a stark contrast that I believe God wants us to see the contrast here. Because the contrast just a couple pages later is so shocking. Look at this. Chapter 14 of Acts. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him. Can I just say that, tying it to this morning? What did Paul do first? He saw. He looked directly at him. Do me a favor as you're reading Scripture this week. Just look at the time that it starts by having our eyes open. He looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. This is an awesome miracle. This is amazing. And so the crowd saw what Paul had done, and they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to him. These two stories sound amazingly similar, don't they? One, there's a speech, and people say, this is a God who has come down. The other one, Paul and Barnabas, there is a healing, and the response of the crowd is, this 
are the gods have come down to us in human form. Now, if the story were similar, if Paul and Barnabas uh, had responded in the same way, what would have happened next in the story? What's that? Eaten in worms and died. If the story were to go the same way, because they simply would have said, I'm, I'm not going to tell them that it's not us because I really like the wreaths. I really like the steak that we're about to enjoy together. I like my bowl medium well. They could have had this celebration. The people would have, would have lifted them up, carried them on their shoulders because the crowd saw this miracle. And when individuals see the miraculous, they want to give credit to the messenger. Oftentimes, when people see amazing, they want to say, who's the person that we're going to praise? Who's the person that we're going to celebrate? And it's just as alive today as it was back then. When there are incredible things, we want to create celebrities out of the people that are doing good. We want to see individuals, and we want to lift them up. We want to put them on posters, and we want to say, look at that person. But our God makes it very clear that the glory and the honor, the story that we are part of, it's a story for God's glory and not our own. And so it's so interesting because Paul and Barnabas understood that. Do you know what they did next? Do you remember what they did? They did not receive this sort of a praise. Do you remember what they did next? They tore their clothes. I wish I had a book. I've got tissues. Um, I've got a box of tissues that are for you on there. Um, that's exactly right. That's, but the apostles Barnabas and Paul, when they heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They want to make it so clear that this is not about their miracle. This is about what God has done. And if you're going to praise anyone, it's certainly not us. Let us point you to the living God. And I think that this story contrast just two chapters earlier in such an amazing way. Because I believe for all of us, as we go and do the things that God has called us to do, we are going to stand out. As we are salt and light, people are going to see there is a difference. There is a difference in Keystone Church. There is a difference in the way that you love and serve. And people are going to want to see that. They're going to want to celebrate that. If we are being faithful to the mission that we have, people are going to want to see and they're going to want to celebrate. And I think the question at the moment that individuals see what God is doing through you is a critical moment. The question of what do we do when people see what God is doing through you are we willing to say, in any way possible, please don't get confused. Please don't look at us. Look, look, we're human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. And then we describe the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I believe that the church today, as we go and as we love and as we serve, that we will stand out. We will stand out, and as we stand out, my hope and my prayer is that individuals would not see the messengers, that we would fade into the background so that people could see 
the living God, the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That is my hope and that is my prayer. And maybe this was an odd talk to have as part of a missions day. But I really believe that as we're going and doing a whole lot of good work around the world, that we will have opportunities to say, I want to deflect. I want everything that we do to simply deflect so that people see the living God. So my hope and my prayer for all of you is that you would live lives of such crazy compassion, radical generosity, and faithfulness as you bring the good news to all people. And as you do it, that you would have so many opportunities to stand out, but in a way that points people to the living God. So that is the message that I wanted to share this evening. I think we have about five or ten minutes, is that all right? Just to see if this prompts any questions or comments, anything that was shared either this morning or, or on this, and then we will be done to enjoy the sunset as we drive home tonight. Does that prompt any comments or questions? And I do have another box of tissues that I totally will steal from the stage for the first person who asks a question. Can you, uh, can you provide some suggestions to how to celebrate the story so God gets the glory? So the literal one would be to rip your clothes and rush out into the crowd, uh, which might be appropriate. It might not be appropriate on that. I will let you decide on that. But I think oftentimes the actions follow the heart, right? And so I think the, the sensitivity to say, where's my heart uh, in this? And can I tell you about Jesus is the ultimate goal. And so I, I think we see this all the time. When people want to celebrate you, it's, it's this appropriate, thank you so much, that means so much. Can I tell you why I do this? It's this deflection going towards, going towards Jesus. And I think we all can tell the sincere uh, from, from, uh, from, from the slow uh, attitude of making it about us. So I don't know. I, thank you, and can I tell you about the reason why I do this oftentimes is a very simple way to transition to making sure that God gets the glory. Yeah. Thanks. I was um, listening to a podcast this afternoon, and some of you might know this better than I, but it was, it was Chuck Colson's Breakpoint. And um, they were talking about how Chick-fil-A has come under fire recently in New York City. Someone wrote an article saying there's, Chick-fil-A should not be in New York City because their mission statement starts with, to God be the glory. And I just thought that was interesting in light of what you were saying, how even when you have an opportunity to give God the glory, people are going to call you creepy. I mean, I think that's what the article said that Chick-fil-A is creepy. Yeah. So um, just how do you encourage us? Because this culture in some places are going to call you all kinds of things for giving God the glory. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Bethany. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that uh, <laughs> we all are going to have to figure this out. The world is changing, and I, I know you moved uh, from New England. That's where I am from as well, and that's a different world from Lancaster County. Uh, I, I think a lot of it comes down to do we actually believe that the tomb was empty? 
do we, do we really believe that? Do we have certainty in our convictions? Because if we have certainty in our convictions, then it, 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 has, it has a grounding. It, it, has, it has a firm foundation. And, and so there's going to be an increasing. The climate is going to change around us. But the question is, do we understand that the tomb is empty? And if that is true, if all that Jesus said is true, then this life, it's going to be short, it's going to be momentary, and we are going to be people who will live and serve faithfully until the very end, and then we will be with Jesus for all eternity. Do we believe that that's true? Because then the criticisms that will come, they don't sting quite as badly. When, when the challenges come, there's, there's a grounding, there's a foundation. And so I think it comes back to a core belief. Do we believe that Jesus was who he said he was? Because if he was than anything in this life. We're to expect challenge. Can I tell you that just this week, uh, I, I had time with our, am I being recorded? Okay, I had friends from a part of the world uh, that were in our office. Um, and uh, this is one of the benefits of my job. Um, you saw a video uh, earlier this morning about it. There was another part of the world. And uh, I think that our global friends have so much to teach us about what it looks like to be faithful in the midst of a culture that their cultures are so much further on in terms of hostility. And so I find enormous uh, comfort, friendship from our global friends in the church that I think if you feel like we are under attack, please spend some time with our global brothers and sisters because they will reorient what attack means for you um, and they also will show what it looks like to still show up and love and serve. And again, the story that you heard this morning, this is real and this is happening, that individuals are being beaten for their faith, that individuals are being beaten and then getting up and going back into the city to do it again. Why? Because the love of Jesus Christ compels them to keep on sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I think that our global church has a whole lot to teach us in the North American church of what it looks like to live and serve faithfully. And if anyone is uh, interested, any kind of the uh, Hope International events, I would love to seat you at one of these friends from one of these countries around the world that we are working with. May 22nd, if I could do a shameless plug, uh, we have our global team coming together, a dinner at Lancaster Bible College, and uh, I would love for you to meet some of these individuals and say that same question, how do you stay faithful? Um, I, I wish I could give you some specific examples, uh, but there are imprisonments and they are getting out and they are still showing up in those same communities because the love of Jesus is real. They receive it and they can't help themselves from sharing it with others. And it is beautiful and it is powerful and it challenges me uh, in my faith as well. Yeah. Do we have time for one last one? Can I just say then, this has been so much fun to be with you today. I really, really appreciate and know several of you from other contexts and uh, I celebrate what God is doing through this church 
Keith, I celebrate what God is, has done and is doing through you. And I pray that you would continue to be people with really big hearts, with really big eyes to see, and that God would be the one that gets all the glory for all the good that you have done and that you continue to do. And if I could be of any help, um, our office is on Granite Run Drive, not far away from here, and I would love to try and be of any help that I could be to all of you. But until we are together again, may God continue to bless you and make you a blessing to all nations. Thanks, Keith. Peter, thank you, brothers. Thanks so much for your ministry this weekend. And uh, if you want to find out more about the organization that Peter leads, Hope International, you can just Google it. There's a website. You can find all kinds of information on there. Um, opportunities to be, as he said, be part of uh, uh, some get-togethers that they have that uh, would be infectious, I think, in, into your heart. I, I love these times when we talk about... Um, the, the, the big picture of what God is up to. Seven and a half billion. Think about that. Seven and a half billion people around the world. Uh, you and I know a handful of people. And yet all these people, God knows them by name. He, he, he knows their, what they like and what they don't like. He knows what they're afraid of. He knows what they're proud of. All this stuff. And, uh, and obviously we can't touch the whole world. God doesn't ask us to. He asks us to touch those that um, he brings to us and brings us to and how are we going to minister to them? I, Beth, I appreciate your question. Um, I think one of the things that, um, I'm not going to over-preach here, but I think one of the things that we have to continually be thinking about as our culture does change around us is, is to uh, maybe not just think about, but make peace with. Um, we talk about ministering to other people uh, we hear stories about when we reach out and so forth, people respond. They're so grateful. We love them. We serve them and so forth. There are going to be a lot of times when we do that, and that's not the result. And the call is still the same. I placed you here on planet Earth to be a, uh, an extension of my love. Go love them, even if you're not loved in return. Because if you remember, Jesus wasn't well loved in return. They nailed him to a cross and executed him. And to... Um, uh, to listen to our brothers and sisters around the world who are being nailed to crosses, in some cases literally, a good reminder that this Jesus that we follow, um, doesn't, it, it doesn't mean party for us. It, it means difficulty. It means hardship. It means taking up our cross and, and following him. And we talked the other week about these previous loyalties that we established. In other words, the future is going to, we talked about it, choices in our future are going to be determined by the previously established loyalties. Now's the time for us to establish the loyalty of Jesus, whatever you ask. Come what may, whatever the cost. And I think increasingly we're going to need to make those kinds of conscious decisions and choices. And in that... In that, God will be glorified, and that is our hope. That is our desire. That's our prayer. Let me close, close with prayer, and uh, again, Peter, so grateful that you could be here. Blessing to have you. Father, thanks for uh, Jesus. He is the reason that uh, we, we would um, pass on a beautiful uh, spring evening sitting out in our patios or going for a walk um, to come and hear more about your heart for the world. And I pray that you would infect us deeply um, with the 
with the people in this world that you love, the people in this world that you've made, and the people in this world like us that you have dispatched to be ambassadors of your grace. Father, help us to be more and more faithful and less and less selfish about that, that we would deflect, as Peter said, all of the glory and the worship to you, for it is all due to your name. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen.